Welcome to Expert Gold Radio, which shows you how to leverage your leadership. Here's your host, Gahan Pereira, for this month's show. Welcome to Expert Gold Radio for November 2013. It's almost the end of the year. I hope 2013 has been successful for you, both in your personal life and your professional life. And you might already be thinking about what 2014 holds, so this month we focus on getting things done. So start with an interview with one of my earliest clients and a great teacher to me in this area of making things happen and getting things done, Tony Fountain. And then we also have an interview that I did recently in Sydney for Eagle Waves Radio, which is mainly about personal branding. And finally, Chris Pudney and I talk about how to stay focused and get things done when working independently. So let's start with a conversation that I had with Tony. Hello, this is Gihan Pereira. I'm speaking today with Tony Fountain. How to describe Tony? He's an adventurer, he's a marketer, he's an entrepreneur, he's an auctioneer, he's a speaker, a consultant and an internationally respected educator. Uh, When I started my consulting business in 1997, I was very fortunate that Tony was one of my very first clients. I say he's a client, but I reckon I've learned more from Tony than I ever taught him. So welcome, Tony. Thank you for being here. Gihan, that's a pleasure. And certainly, uh, time's flowing, hasn't it? 1967. There we go. Yeah, yeah. 97, yep, yeah. Yep. 67 was when I was born, Tony. You make me feel <laughs> old, <now. laughs> Oh, dear, dear. I was born in 1945, so there we go. <laughs> so, Tony, I know what I said about you was just a brief introduction. I know barely scratched the surface. So, is there anything you'd like to add to that to give us a bit of your background and how you got to where you are today? Gihan, uh, I guess I kicked off life in Sydney. I was adopted out at 11 days of age to a wonderful couple in uh, Central West. New South Wales town of Grenfell. I was extraordinarily fortunate. The good Lord was looking after me from the word go. Raised in that was a family stock and station age in auctioneering business. They sent me off to boarding school in Sydney where I went to Scots College. Created a lot of mayhem. I <laughs> <laughs> didn't do that well scholastically, but did well in sport. Uh, and then came back into uh, our family business. I've always been a person that, you know, is a bit like Edward Kennedy said of Robert Kennedy with when others said why, my brother said why not. And I've always sort of pushed the envelope. And I suppose growing up in a small country town where you were very had to be very competitive to survive because you had bigger towns and bigger stock agencies trying to pinch your territory, you know, I just kept looking at ways of improving things and that led to another and led to another thing, etc. And uh, I'm still that way now. It's uh, I just find the current time so exciting because the great thing about the internet is uh, there are actually no rules in it. Whereas beforehand when I was growing up, this is how you're meant to do ads, how you're meant to do whatever. And it's just, I think, it's just phenomenally fascinating times. I really do want to explore that in a bit more detail, Tony, because I, I reckon I was thinking about all the things that I've seen you do and in the time that we've worked together, which is almost two decades now. And just looking at technology, like you've always been ahead of the curve. That's one thing that really stands out with you. And over the last 15 years, I've probably taken it for granted because it just seems like we're doing stuff. <laughs> and it's only when we look back and we just look at some yeah. of the stuff that you've done. You had a website before most businesses even knew what a website was. Yeah, well, we, we got, a web, got our website back when we first got together. And I'll, I'll just go back a little bit because when I was growing up in Grenfell and I took over the family business, when we had to place an advertisement in the land newspaper, one of the big papers, we either had to ring it through or we'd send it on telex on that little strip of paper uh, because so many livestock ads come at the last minute. And when the internet turned up, I just went bing for me. I thought, oh, hello, here we go because this is the connection to the world. And as you remember... I just had heart surgery and we were getting on a boat to go sailing. And the last thing I needed was a boat full of brochures to post out from ports. Mm. And to me, it just stood out like like anything that the internet was the way to talk to the world. The, the world is your market. It's just being creative enough to tap into it. Yeah, and you, and you can say that. And now looking back, it seems obvious. And yet at the time, most people didn't go, wow, here's a great opportunity. Most people were scared by it. They were concerned by it. Uh, most people didn't even know about it. And yet you were doing it. Yeah, well, I think, you see, the big problem for a lot of people in business is they're not going to back themselves. Mm. Now, okay, I mean, God, look at me. I've got a litany of mistakes over the years of blues that I made. But we've got a lot of things right. And things like combined rural traders, which is CRT or now Rural Co., it's the biggest agricultural merchandising company in Australia. Two other, Three other mates and myself, we started that in 1972 because, you know, when you're young, you're bulletproof and you don't see things that would worry other people. And we literally lined up with a big company, Merck, Sharp and Dome, and went in there, had a hell of a meeting with them, got the flick, didn't even get a cup of tea, got heaved out of their boardroom, 
went up to SmithKline and French in French's Forest, who, unbeknownst to us, had a fantastic product, but no one would sell it because the other company had them boxed in. We did a deal with them, went back to the other company, and, of course, they knew how good the other product was and said, boys, come on in, we did a deal, and we started Combined Rural Traders. Now, that was just a dream of four young fellas, but we tapped the right button. Now, you know, the other things I've done in life, we've tapped the wrong button, but uh, we got going selling pigs by description, by a computer description. This is appreciate to you being a technology man. That mm-hmm. It's basically the same system that you use for ultrasounds on women with babies. So you can measure the back fat on a pig and you get a certain graph for a certain weight, for a certain age, for a certain back fat measurement. And uh, we came up with this system. We got it going really well. And then farmers greed, I suppose, sank that because they then decided to cut the commission rate and they'd sell to direct to the meat processors. Once we were out of the picture, the meat processors dropped the price and everyone squealed and carried on. But that today is a thing called Auction Plus, which is probably one of the most dynamic selling system. So I, I think you've got to back yourself and, and your business either goes forwards or backwards. It never sits still. And too many businesses, especially small businesses, get to a level and go, oh, I'm comfortable here. And I reckon if you're comfortable, you're on your way out. Yeah, and I've been at that place, Tony. And uh, I know the time that I'm most excited about my business is when I'm uncomfortable, when I'm doing stuff that's that just seems a little bit scary. But I also know that part of it is enjoying the journey and, and having goals to work towards. Well, I, th- I think it is, and I think, you know, I interviewed a lady with with one of my magazines, The Drover's Journal, American lady back in about 1983 or 84, a woman called Tweet Kimball, and she was about 80. She'd been married seven times. She'd had oil wells and gone up. Just a fascinating woman. And something she said to me then that still applies today, she said, you know, Tony, the problem is today mediocrity is the norm. No one strives mm-hmm. for excellence. Mm-hmm. And that is so true, so true, that everyone's near enough good enough, but there's not that drive to make it as good as it can be. You know, and, that, and I guess that's what I've always tried to do and uh, overshot the runway a few times. <laughs> but uh, anyway, keep standing up and have another go, don't you? Well, yeah, and look, this conversation is going exactly the way that I wanted to, Tony, because I thought we could take this conversation in two ways. There's there's lots of stuff you've done online. You, uh, as I've said, we, you had a website before most people did. You were blogging before blogging was a word. You were selling e-books before Amazon was yeah. and building online communities, doing e-learning stuff. And we could talk about any one of those things and that would be really valuable. But just what we've been doing, like talking about the thinking behind it, rather than the actual doing, is I think that's where the real magic lies and that's where we can get the most from Tony Fountain. Yeah, see, I I think people tend to accept what they do is what the norm is. Now, you say about when we started the blogging, which was when we sailed out on Tringris and we had the Rainbow Chaser blogs going. Mm -hmm. And I did that. I I guess I did it mainly for a few friends to keep them posted. But what I found was, and I've always had a great interest in history and geography, so instead of just sailing into a bay and saying we're at Refuge Bay, I'd go and explain why it was called Refuge Bay, that Captain Cook or Flinders or Billy Bloggs called it that. And pretty soon I suddenly found out I had a couple of thousand subscribers. So, mm. And I guess it's a lot like selling. If you've got to sell something, it's got to be what's in it for them with the people that you're selling to or are reading your blog. It's not about me saying I'm a great sailor or navigator or whatever else. And that's been my core belief is unless the people reading my blog can find it of interest, then what's the point of getting it? And I guess at the end of the day, whether it's selling it as a speaker or as an auctioneer or someone selling property or whatever, uh, you build an affinity with your audience. And uh, the, the thing I get back today from people that subscribe to my blogs is that they, they all say they're eclectic because it's meant to be on real estate. Like a, the one that just went out this morning is the thing I saw the other day on Facebook of a photo of a dying man, I presume, in America. And in his last days, he asked the facility where he was, could he have his dog with him as a photo of him on the, on the dog mm-hmm. on the bed now? Yeah, that was just such a wonderful humanitarian photo. But that went into a real estate brochure. Now, I've already had three emails this morning from people saying, oh, how much they enjoyed it. But I guess the logic for a lot of people would be a real estate blog is about real estate, but real estate's about people. Mm. Matter of fact, everything we do is about people. That's Mm. where we make the mistake. I guess I was a little bit sceptical, Tony. Like you said, when you started at that blog for the Rainbow Chaser blog, I remember being a bit sceptical that people would be interested in this. And I thought, oh, let's just see how it goes. But they absolutely were. 
that again, that, that was in so 20th century, but now everyone's doing that on social media. And you just mentioned Facebook, just on a very personal level. A couple of days ago when I was in Sydney with my partner, we were we just went out to Manly. We took the boat out there, had a great lunch and came back. And I took a photo of one of the ferries with the Sydney Harbour Bridge in the background, posted on Facebook. Tony Fountain comments about just a little tidbit of interest about the names of the ferries. And that just added another level of richness and depth to that that little photo that I posted through Instagram and on Facebook. And I just love that you're always doing that, Tony. And uh, you often, as you said, like you put that uh, personal story in a real estate brochure or you lead a newsletter article with an anecdote or story. Is that something that just comes naturally to you or is it something that you work at and how does it work for your business? No, look, I, I think it comes naturally to me. My biggest danger is I type something and hit the send button and then go, oh, God, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> but it's too late. It's gone to cyberspace. But, see, I remember something, Ron Tacky, you know, our, our mm. friend who's passed on. But when I first started in the speaking career, Ron Tacky heard me talk and he said to me, Tony, he said, one thing you've got to realise in an audience, he said, you can't give them half the story. You either give them nothing or you give them the lot. And I think that's how you've got to be in communication. They've got to, they, you've got to chance your arm and you put your thoughts into it. Now, certainly you're going to probably upset some people on the way around. Others you'll get on side. But at the end of the day, it's being true to yourself. And I, I just think, well, yeah, mummy's grew up with me saying, Anthony, why be ordinary? The world's full of ordinary people. And it wasn't that wasn't said said in a class, your class conscious way or whatever. But she was right, because most people get up in the morning, have breakfast, go to work, come home, watch TV, go to bed, get up and go to work and go to bed, you know, whatever. And I just find with the writings of things, because I, you know, I have had a very fortunate life and, you know, being a pilot and a sailor and racing around the Australia auctioneering and all that sort of thing, what I could probably deem as a normal life for most people is completely abnormal. Mm. You know, probably fitted three lifetimes in a one. But by telling people what's out there, hopefully someone says, oh, listen, why don't we go and look at that as well? And you you challenge them to be better for themselves. You only get one crack at this. And, you know, once you're down the chute, that's it. She's all over. That's a great attitude to have. There's something I remember on the, on the very first website that we built. On your homepage, you had this quote from Lawrence of Arabia. Ah, um, yes. And, and I wrote it down because I, I love it and I'm sure it's really important. So let me just let me read it out. So you said, uh, or Lawrence of Arabia said, All men dream, but not equally. For the dreamers of the night awaken to find it was merely their vanity. But the dreamers of the day are the dangerous ones, for they dream with their eyes open and make things happen. And even now, that just sends shivers down my spine. And I've seen and heard you quote that a number of times. So tell me more about that. Well, look, I guess in a way, without sounding melodramatic, it's probably a pivotal quote to my life. Because as an auctioneer, you get to meet people from all walks of life, all interests in life, all stratas of society, finances or whatever. And I just see so many people that are the dreamers of the night that, oh, I'm go- I could do this, you know. But the daylight comes, oh, I can't do that can't do that and they're talked out of by either themselves or their friends but the dreamers of the day they're the ones that go well bugger I'm going to make it happen let's go and you know you hit hit the wall every now and again but it is such a pivotal quote and I I use that every time I give a an address anywhere that be it auctioneer training real estate training keynote speaking or just an after dinner speaker everyone gets that quote because it is so fundamental if we could be turned into a nation of dreamers of the day this place would just be pumping, you know? Yeah, and I like those last three words, that the dream is the day, make things happen. Well, that's it. It's like a, life's like a football game. You've got to kick the bloody thing. <laughs> if you don't, it doesn't go anywhere. Uh, and all too often, oh, people say, oh, no, I couldn't do that. Oh, I'm going to wait till I retire. And, you know, here you and I are talking about things of 20 years ago that seems like I remember the day when we met at uh, Brighton at the Novotel Hotel. Mm. That mm. seemed like last week. Mm-hmm. So, you know, grab the ball and run with it. You know, make it happen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, go out and do what you want to do. You don't have to be... I mean, I just get so annoyed uh, when I see parents say to little kids, give up, you're a dead loss, you'll never be this or you're that. What do you, how do you know they'll never be this or that? You know, chase your dream. Be a dreamer of the day. And, and I find, you know, when I talk at high school functions, which I, I obviously don't charge for, um, I tend to say, okay, who's leaving school this 
the you know, next period, they all stand up and say, okay, we're having a cup of coffee. And we talk direct. And I say, look, no doubt a lot of you are there, your parents want you to be doctors or lawyers or whatever else. I said, be what you want to be. And the number of times parents come up to me later and they hook into me. <laughs> my, my son, he's got to be a doctor. I said, what's he want to be? Oh, no, he wants to be. Well, so, hang on, well, let him be what he wants to be. It's his life. Chase your dream. You can do it. And that's the wonderful thing about Australia. This is a country and we see it. Time after time after time, people come here with a bum out of their trousers, nothing, and end up successful because they've got the dream, they've got the what I call the dog, you know, the mongrel in them to get mm. to the top, mm. and they drive themselves, and they get there, and Australia can do that. You look at Spain at the moment, 64% unemployment in people up to 24. Yeah, it's just frightening. This is just such a wonderful country, and we just got to not take it for granted, make it happen. Yeah, it really is a place of opportunity, isn't it? Oh, is it what? Incredible. I mean, there are plenty of opportunities out there, but people are afraid to try because they think they're going to fail. One of the things that I think that you do really well is something which I call forever beta. So it's the idea that, you know, with software, people will release stuff as a beta release. So it's not complete. Gmail is a perfect example. So Gmail, for the first five years of Gmail, was Gmail beta. So it was released by Google. They knew it wasn't 100% complete, but they wanted feedback and they used that to improve the product. And eventually they released the final version. And I think you're a bit like that, Tony. You're always willing to just try stuff to see if it works. And I think you've got that great skill to know when to move on when it's not working or when to adjust, just just tailor it slightly so it works differently. I think it takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of decision-making skills. It's a really great way to move forward. So is there something that we can learn or some skills that we can put into practice to be forever beta the way that you are? Well, I think a lot of it's back with that Kenny Rogers song, The Gambler, know when to hold and when to fold and when Hmm. to walk away. Well, let's see, I've always had to try things because I've always been silly enough to be taking on big companies. Hmm. (laughs) It's a bit like a frigate fighting a battleship. I had to get in there, fire a shot and get out before they lowered their guns. Because if the shell hit me, I was gone. Mm. Uh, and therefore, you're always looking for something that gives you that advantage. You know, a lot of things you, you try that don't work, but by gee, some of, when they come off, they come off. But always be game enough to have a go. You know, the great old Australian expression, have a go, you know, like, you know, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. But, but, but people, I don't, maybe I'm wrong in sensing this, but I, I think people today, they've got back into this what is expected of them of society. They don't say, what am I going to have a go at it? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. It's like you say that sometimes you can fail spectacularly, but sometimes you'll succeed spectacularly as well. Well, so what if you fail? Pick mm. yourself up and go again. I mean, you look at Edison. He invented the light bulb 852 times. They said to him, give up. Nah, nah, nah. Bang, 853rd, we've got a light bulb. Mm. Just hang in there. But in saying you've got to know when it's, it's time to not hang in there and walk away from it. And that's something I guess is you've either got the intuition for or you haven't, or you learn through your errors and don't go broke in the process. Well, I think that's right as well. Like, it's easy to say somebody's got a very good decision-making process and they know when to fold, but you only get that through experience. And if, if you don't start off in the first place, how are you ever going to get the experience? Yeah, life is but alone with experience of the interest, my friend. Mm-hmm. That's it. Hope you enjoyed the conversation that I had there. As you can tell, Tony's passionate, he's down to earth, and he's very generous in sharing his wisdom. That was actually part of a longer interview that Tony and I did, which you can buy as a CD or an MP3 download on my website, kihanperera.com. So just go to the resources section and you'll find it under audio programs. I think that's a really great motivator for yourself, your teams, or as a Christmas gift for somebody you know, especially somebody who's starting out on a new venture in business. So let's move on now to an interview that I did recently when I was in Sydney. I was there for some keynote presentations and consulting, and I was invited by the Speakers Bureau owner and entrepreneur, Debbie Carr, to appear on her weekly Biz Health segment on Eagle Waves Radio. Their theme for the week was personal branding. We had an interesting conversation along with her co-host, Scarlett Vesper, about how to do this online. Eagle Waves Radio, Radio, the voice of small business. Hello. <laughs> Sorry. What are you doing? Uh, I was I was contemplating those last tips, which were very good, and I was writing some little notes, and now I'm back in the studio in my brain. Back into the present. Back into the present, <laughs> as uh, we talked about yesterday. Uh, welcome back uh, to Biz Health on EagleWaysRadio.com. Please listen in, and you can check us out on Facebook, uh, hashtag EagleWaysRadio, EagleWaysRadio, and also Twitter, hashtag Radio EW, capital R, capital E, capital W. 
Uh, we're in the heart of the city and uh, we're at the wonderful Vivo Cafe who has the best coffee. So we are now on the couch. We're on the couch with Gihan Pereira. Can I say your name properly? I'll yeah, Deb, Gihan Pereira. Thank goodness. <laughs> Future should know after 10 years. Future is a technology <laughs> consultant who will show you how to tap into the power of the internet to future-proof your organisation, your teams and your careers in this fast, flat and free world. Long time no see. <laughs> yeah, that's right, Deb. We saw each other yesterday, didn't we? And I yeah. want to say being the person who hadn't met you before <laughs> is I saw you speak yesterday at uh, Deb's great uh, showcase, and you are awesome. Thank you, Scarlett. Very really funny, it. inspiring, and I learned a lot, and, and especially for me in personal branding, it just added a whole other dimension. So, um, well done, you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And, I really uh, enjoyed it. You're, you're extremely funny, and, and but your, your message is great, and you're such a great singer. I think I'm going to sack on it. Gihan is the new. I'm going to manage him instead. She's very, <laughs> a little bit funny about the singing, but I have to say I laughed a lot. It was beautiful. Good. Good. I hope you're not expecting me to sing today, Deb. <laughs> no, you don't have your piano. <laughs> I'm sure so, he does, actually, on his iPad. So tell us, what can we expect for the future in technology? What's coming up? Oh, look, there's a, there's a lot of things. There's a couple of things that are really important. And, you know, we're talking about personal branding today. I think that's one of the key things, that more and more every one of us has to create our own brand, whether we're working for somebody, whether we're running our own business, whether we're leading a business. More and more, each of us has to create our personal brand. And people are doing that every day on Facebook. And they're doing that in their personal lives. And they just need to do that in their business lives as well. So you see things like mobile technology is becoming really big at the moment. Mm. Um, people using social media, that's really big at the moment. But all those tools, like social media is a really good example where Facebook's got 1.1 billion users. That's incredible. Oh, it's that's incredible, scary, isn't it? It's yeah. just incredible. It really is. But some people do it so wrong as well. Yeah, and exactly. But most people do it right. But most of the people who are doing it right are not business people because business people are only about 4 or 5% of that 1 billion. So 95% of the people on Facebook are using it just to share family pictures, family photos, what's going on in their lives. And we as business people need to understand that. That's a culture of Facebook, that everyone's sharing what's true about them and themselves. So if you're a business, you need to go on. If you're going to go on Facebook, you've got to have some character and identity and share a little bit about yourself, not just about just their brand. Well, this is interesting because I find I've been monitoring my own Facebook and I have a number of pages. I find when I put a post about myself on my book on my Facebook page or or something that's not relevant to work, I get so many comments and likes. But if I put something to do with work, nobody says anything. They're not interested. And that's just the way that Facebook is, Deb. Now, it's not to say you shouldn't do any <laughs> work. They, they, stuff. It's not me. I, no. think, it be goes in. No, I think it goes in. But I don't think they interact as much. They're not interactive. Yeah. But and it's got to be a mix. It's yeah. got to be a mix. Yeah. So, um, And this all, all to do with personal branding is that you want to share something of yourself. People do want to know a little bit about you before they want to start interacting with you. Because business is still always people interacting with people. It yeah. doesn't matter whether they're doing it mobile phone to mobile phone or they're doing it over video conference or they're doing it by Skype. There's still people interacting with people and, and you do want to know the people that you're interacting with. Absolutely. You talked yesterday about standing up. So what was your last slide? I, I, yeah, I matter. I so matter. It's all yeah. about people who say I matter. Now, yeah. I just wanted to add, it was interesting because... Um, you know, your talk is about standing up. I matter now. We all do. It's a different society where before it was always the boss was the main person. Now it's much more integrated and it's a more equality and you have to engage and respect each other in business now. You can't just kind of tell someone what to do. What Part of what the process I do with personal branding is I look at, um, we go back and we have a look at people's values. I was talking about yesterday in my talk. And one of the things is having a look at the aspects of self and applying an antidote. And I just, I just thought about it with when you talked about Facebook is that if you look at one thing, great thing is looking at ourselves and our values and whatever our dispositions. When you apply an antidote, it actually creates, it's not judging that you're bad or you have problems. It's creating a balance. Now, for example, Mark Zuckerberg had a real problem about not belonging. So out of that dysfunction came that big business. So it's an interesting thing is when, this is just a tip for our listeners, that when you're looking at your own brand and you have aspects of yourself that you don't like, 
it's okay. Be non-judgmental. Bring that out. See the other side and how you can make it work for you. And I, I just think that was a lovely example. Sorry to interject there, but it was a yeah, great Yeah, th- that's right, Scarlett. And I think the, the, the secret of success in any business is solving problems. And ideally, you want to solve the problems of your clients or customers. But equally, and you just touched on this, you want to be sure that you're solving problems that you care about yourself. And sometimes they may be your own problems, the things mm. that you've always had a challenge with and you need to start trying Don't to Don't we teach out. what we most need to learn? Yeah, look, and that's, and that's very <laughs> that's much right. part of it. Who said that last night? Was it you? Yeah. No, it wasn't I, but it may have been somebody else. It was else. my brain, I think. Oh, I'm sure I heard that last night. But Solving problems is is one of the biggest things that you can do, and that applies just as just as much online. And more and more now, you need to be passionate or at least interested in the sort of problems that you're solving for, you, for your customers and clients. I remember early when I started my business, uh, I went to a conference where the speakers were talking about how to make money on the internet, and they said, "Look, find a market where there's a demand, where they've got a problem that needs solved, and even if you are not interested in it, you can solve the problem and make money from it." And the example that he gave was he. He wrote an ebook about how to teach your parrot to talk. <laughs> because he found there are a whole bunch of people who own parrots and they spend a lot of money in the parrots and want to teach their parrot how to talk. And he said he doesn't like birds, he's kind of scared by them. But he found somebody who could write the ebook for them, uh, for him. And he's a marketer, so he was then able to sell the ebook online and make money from it. And I think half of that now works and half of it doesn't. The half that works is make sure that you're actually solving real problems for people. The half that doesn't work is it's much harder now to try and sell something that you're not interested in or that you don't have any passion for. So, yeah, oh, solve yes. And passion that. gives so you the true. perseverance yeah. too because if you're not believing what you're doing and you might phrase it because at the moment people are trying a lot of different things, they're failing and they go, oh, I'll try something else over here. It's got to come from something deeper. You've got to love yeah. it. And that's that's right. I, I would quit years ago if I didn't have the passion. Yeah, yeah. And the internet exposes you if yeah. you if you're yeah. trying to do something that you're not authentic, that you don't that's authentically so feel, yeah. then you'll get found out sooner or later. Yeah, that's right. It's and true. the other side of that is that if you're doing something that you are passionate about and aligned with, then it's so much easier to tap into things like Facebook and Twitter to to share some of yourself, which also that means that you create greater rapport with your clients and customers. In fact, on that authenticity, I had my uh, a professional photo of myself, which I loved. I thought I looked really hot in it, actually, but it wasn't me. <laughs> mm-hmm. All my wrinkles were taken out, and um, you know, so I had to. And Scarlett has re has I've done a new photo, but it's I love it because it's me. People and it uh, is authentic. Me. I mean, one of the things when I do yeah. the videos, I did Debs. And create, I mean, as a director, you're trying to get people to be themselves mm. and to speak from their heart and create a space for that. Because people know, audiences know if there's inauthenticity or whatever you're feeling. My thing is if whatever you're thinking in your head comes out on camera and even yep. a photograph, the energy of who you are. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. And um, I've also got a face for radio. But I do think that uh-huh. it's okay to it's okay to show a few blemishes here and there because you do want to show the authentic you and the authentic you is not perfect. perfect. In yeah. fact, one of the problems with Facebook is that people tend to post the stuff that's really positive about their lives. So when you look at Facebook and you look at your friends who you're following, you see a... You see um, a photoshopped version of their lives. You see all the good stuff in there and you don't necessarily see what's real. And I think it's okay to show a few flaws here and there. And, in fact, it's inevitable because if you're running any sort of business with staff and if you allow them to use social media, which I think you should, you should allow them to speak on your behalf and speak and represent your brand, then sometimes they're going to show a little bit of themselves that's not aligned with your necessarily with your values. It doesn't... What do you... You want to avoid them saying things that are going to harm your brand and are going to go against your values. However, you can't expect that everyone is going to be 100% aligned with everything that you want to say. So you allow them the latitude to say what they want to say with the right sort of training and the right sort of guidance so that everyone's pointing in the right direction. But you do want them to have their voice because, as you were saying earlier, Scarlett, I do say to people, you know, you've got to find people who say, I matter. And if you find people who say that and who are willing to stand up and speak out, they're going to be your best brand advocates, the people within your business itself. So true. That is so true. It is so true. And I, I just, it's, you know, I love that if everyone can realize that their value, was it you that was saying yesterday that if you're cruel to someone, you're saying that then your body reads it as being cruel to yourself? 
like you know valuing valuing yourself is just makes such a massive difference to your circumstance and what you attract into your life yeah it was jason who was saying that yeah. and, and that is right and you know, th- there are people now and th- all the internet has done is given people a voice and it's given people choices so in the past if you're passionate but you're an employee you didn't necessarily have many opportunities to speak up and to speak out but now the internet's just leveled the playing field for a lot of people that if you've got that voice and you want to put some effort into it you can become known you don't have to be a celebrity first so it is a phenomena really if you get if you get noticed or you get well known or or you do well because everybody's doing the same so it must be not it's not such a um, an easy uh, solution or, or way of bringing that forward it must be something more must be more energetic it's do you know what I mean? Because there's a formula, you know, you can do this to be well-known or successful. But now it's different because everybody's doing the same thing. Well, I reckon there is a formula, and it's not my formula, but <laughs> yes. it's one that I got from Steve Martin. Yes. He's the actor, Steve Martin, the actor, and he was asked once, what's the secret of success? And he said, be so good they can't ignore you. <laughs> that's like, oh, I reckon okay. that's just a great way to live your life, to live your business life, to run your business, to be professional. Be so good they can't ignore you. And that just means, and when you're talking about what you're doing online, it means just giving value in everything that you do and giving as much value as you can. Uh, and then people will eventually get to know you and sooner rather than later because there's a lot of superficial interactions that happen online. But if, you've, if you're the exception and you keep giving value all the time, then, then people won't be able to ignore you anymore. And oh, where can people find you online? Yes. Well, the, the best place they can find me is kihanperera.com because Scarlett and I both believe that you should have your name.com. So That's right. Yeah, it's absolutely. very important, your name, have your own URL because businesses come and go, but you'll always be there. Yeah, that's right. And Gihan Pereira is G-I-H-A-N, Pereira, P-E-R-E-R-A.com. Beautiful. And I Thank love you. that thing that you said about value because you've got to value yourself as well as be valuable for others and you have to then have personal care around that thank you so much we're going to go for a break and lovely to have you on the show thank yeah my pleasure home. thanks thanks radio the voice of small business if you're talking about getting things done and making things happen one of the keys is focus and one of the biggest traps for business leaders business owners and anybody who works fairly independently is that we've got more freedom than ever before but that also means that we need to be responsible for our own focus and our own discipline so in this segment my friend and co-author of the book out of office chris pudney and i talk about how to stay focused In our book, Out of Office, we have uh, nine sections of the book. And one chapter of the book we call Keep Out the World. And we kind of included this almost uh, un- almost just for completion because it's just one page long. And it's talking about if you're, if you're working from home and you're working out of office, whether it's from home or in a cafe or somewhere like that, there are times when you do want to completely keep out the world, where you want to get focused and work on uh, certain tasks and be highly productive without any sort of interruptions. And in the book, that chapter is only one page long because we basically basically say, look, nothing to see here. Just make sure there's nothing that you you connected to anything. But there are certain things that you do need to do to get focused and to be able to stay on task and not get distracted and not get interrupted. So we thought we'd talk about some of the things that you do need to do. And we've kind of organized this in three areas. So we're going to call this ready, set and go. So Chris, let's start with the ready. Yeah, so ready is about preparing and setting up so that you can focus when you're working out of office. Um, Things like your workspace and the environment that you work in and then dealing with interruptions or at least trying to minimise them. So when it comes to setting up your workspace, usually that's going to be a home office of some sort and if you've got the luxury of a space in your home that you can dedicate as your home office, then that's pretty good. I'm, I'm lucky in that regard. And if it has, if it's a room with a separate door, then that's ideal because you can close the door and that's going to shield you from interruptions and distractions from the rest of the house. And it also provides a clear signal to other people at home that you're working and you shouldn't be disturbed. So that's that's the situation that we both have, isn't it, Gihan? I've got a, a separate study upstairs and all of our living areas are downstairs. So if my wife and daughter are at home, they're usually downstairs and they can make almost as much noise as they like and that tends not to distract me. And also I have the door shut so they know that I'm working and, and they shouldn't come in and, and disturb me. Even so, you can you can take those measures and you might still have a problem with external noise and that tends to be uh, the case 
with me because we live on a relatively busy road in our suburb and there is a bit of external noise when I'm working. If that's uh, something that you find distracting, then some people recommend that you have some background noise, uh, sorry, background music to to drown out that intrusive noise. Um, but you've got to be careful about the the music that you choose. If you're going to have Scandinavian Scandinavian death metal, that's probably not going to work for you. Or dance music's probably going to be a bit more distracting than the external noise. Something like classical music or ambient ambient music is probably more appropriate for a work environment. Uh, and you could also invest in a set of noise cancelling headphones they can also uh, help to deal with external noise sources i like having um, some music playing whilst i'm working but i find certain tasks are conducive to that and others aren't so for example if i'm reading or writing emails then i can't uh, have music playing but if i'm programming or developing software that uh, that tends to go really well with a bit of music playing however However, it's not all bad. There is some research that you drew my attention to, Gihan, that suggests that if you're involved in a creative task, then having some having a noisy environment actually is beneficial. So uh, the article that you pointed me to suggested that maybe you should head down to your local cafe if you want to do a little bit of creative work, a little bit of brainstorming, that uh, that tends to be more effective than locking your way in silent solitude when it comes to being creative. And I think finally, the, uh, a good idea is to mix it up, to experiment with different environments. And this is something that I haven't done much of. I tend to do most of my work at home, in my home office. Maybe I'll uh, go downstairs if I'm doing a bit of reading. But you've been a bit bolder, Gihan. You've been a bit more experimental in where you do your work. Yeah, and I think it's it's especially because I do consider myself a digital nomad. So it's a little bit easier for me to pack up my laptop and my phone and my internet modem and then go and work anyway. So sometimes I find that working at a cafe where there's a little bit of noise around there, people around, is really useful for me. And there's some other times when I do want to shut myself away in my home office. Uh, sometimes I sit out in the back garden and that works really well for me as well. And occasionally I, I want to go to a library where there's where there are people, but there's no talking. <laughs> well, theoretically, there's no talking. Yeah. <laughs> but that that helps as well. So I feel like I'm among people, but I can still get work done in silence. So I've, I do think that you've got to figure out what works best for you and uh, and also not necessarily feel that once you've found something that works for you, that's going to work for everything. Uh, for some tasks, you might find that a different environment is better. Yeah, okay. So once you've got your environment set up and we, we decide where you're going to work, the next thing to do in terms of uh, in terms of getting ready is just make sure that you don't have interruptions. So we're going to talk about interruptions and distractions. So we'll talk about distractions later, but there are things that you can do at the start to eliminate or at least minimize the sort of interruptions that you're going to be getting. And the first one's pretty obvious, and that's just let other people know. Uh, so if you are sharing your home office, your home or an office or some shared workspace with other people, let them know that you're, when you're working and you don't want to be interrupted, and you may have some rule about whether the door's closed or whether you have a sign on the door, or whether if you're wearing headphones, uh, whether they, even if they're switched off, that might mean that you're not to be interrupted. Uh, so uh, other than... Even even people outside the home, so in, in a personal context, say your family and friends, just let them know that uh, they shouldn't be calling you during work hours, uh, unless, of course, they're important calls. And, and while we're talking about calls, uh, you can screen your calls. So only answer the calls that are important to you. And if you've got things like caller ID uh, or you have special ringtones for certain people calling, you can be sure that you can So only answer the important calls and leave the others. So you ignore them, but you defer them so they're left till later and they don't get in the way of you doing your productive work. Very good. So that's dealing with the the ready phase. The next is uh, set or getting set. And that's the things you need to do uh, prior to actually doing your work. There's really one thing we can mention, and that is having a plan. And the way that I do that is that I, that I have a spreadsheet and it holds a list of tasks that are ordered according to priority that I need to work on. And generally, that's a, that's a, a list that covers more than one day's work. And at the start of each day, I generally check my email to make sure to see whether I've got any new tasks that need to be dealt with uh, immediately or during the day. And if there are new tasks, I add them into the list. I, I give them a priority and, and then I can actually get started. Then during the day, other things can crop up. Uh, that involve new tasks, and again, I just add them to the list, uh, so in order of their priority. 
And as I'm working through these tasks, when I complete one, I uh, move it out of the list and onto another list that lets me know what I've actually completed and when. So that gives me a way of tracking uh, my progress through the tasks that I've been assigned. And we'll talk about tracking a bit further on because I think that's a particularly important part of, um, of how you actually work. Uh, I guess we should make the point that what we're talking about here in terms of being focused and shutting out the world and using noise-cancelling headphones, it doesn't have to apply for everything that you do. So there may be times when you're quite happy to be, well, if, even if you're not happy, it's okay for you to be interrupted by, by other people or by, other, by less important things coming in. However, there are times when you really want to focus on the important things. And it is important, as you say, in your planning to figure out what are the important things and put them on your priority list. And I love Stephen Covey's book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective people. I've read that a long, long time ago now, and I've adopted a number of his ideas. And and one of the things that he says is uh, plan on a weekly basis rather than a daily basis. So at the start of each week, decide what's going to be important for you in the week, because sometimes in a day, there's nothing you can do. You do get interrupted by important and urgent things that weren't on your list. But as long as they're part of your weekly plan, you can usually get through them. So I have, I just have a simple list. I just, uh, like you use a spreadsheet, Chris, I just have a simple text file that just has a list of everything that I want to do for the week. And I highlight the lines that I want to do, the things that I want to do for today. Uh, also, at the start of each, uh, also at the start of each week, I create a mind map uh, with basically the Stephen Covey's ideas of what I want to achieve in the week. And at the start of each day, I highlight the things in the mind map that I want to achieve for the day, and then tick them off as I as I do them at the end of the day. So I, I like that idea of doing the weekly planning. I also like doing uh, Stephen Covey's idea of doing your planning for the next day, the, the night before. So you don't turn up in the morning and do your plan. You do you actually do it the night before so that you can turn up fresh, knowing that you can get a, a really good start to the day. And the other idea that I like, uh, which I'm pretty sure came from uh, the Seven Habits book, was the idea that you know, if we if we have a meeting with somebody or some sort of appointment, it's in our calendar because it involves somebody else. Stephen Covey recommends that you also, if you've got important jobs to do, do during the day, but they don't involve somebody else, stick them in your calendar anyway. So set the time aside rather than trying to slot it in among all the other things that you might have going on during your day. Very good. Okay, now we've got one more bit of advice before you actually get down and do some work, and that is to get rid of uh, unnecessary distractions that might occur whilst you're working. So it seems that people who write software for instant messaging and social media platforms and email love having these little widgets that chime and beep or pop up a notification to let you know that there's something really important that you need to attend to right now. Uh, But generally, they, they aren't important and they don't need to be dealt with immediately. And so one of the most important bits of advice we have is that you switch off these notifications. So try and turn off the notifications from your email client that something has arrived in your mailbox. Uh, there's various plugins for browsers that'll let you know when you've got a, a new tweet from one of your one of the people you follow, or that uh, someone has uh, added something to your feed in Facebook. So switch those off during work periods. Similarly with Skype, but Skype has this annoying habit of letting you know when someone has signed in or signed out. So when it comes to Skype, it's not something that I use as a way of getting in contact with me urgently. So I just only turn on Skype when I need to use it. So just get rid of those those notifications, those beeps, those chimes that are going to pop up and distract you when you're working. Uh, your phone might be a source of uh, a source of uh, distraction as well, but you might your mobile phone you might be using it to uh, to uh, you know you've got your to do t- task on it for for instance, Kihan. It might be something that you need to turn to uh, as part of your working process. So put it onto silent mode, turn off vibrate mode. I find vibrate mode the most distracting part, more so than the ringtone. Uh, so put it onto silent mode so that you can use your phone without it being a source of distractions. In addition to putting it on silent, the other thing you can do is put it on flight mode. Yeah. But putting it on a flight mode means that you turn off external access. So you don't get emails coming in or text messages coming in on your phone. So if you want to be uh, completely free of those sort of distractions, uh, turn, your, turn your phone on flight mode just for the time that you want to be fully focused. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the, the, so that's essentially unplugging it from, uh, from network communication. And you can do that, to, you can extend that to you know, your PC or whatever. Just go completely offline if you need to. 
Yep, I, I think that's right. So we've talked about now, like setting up your environment and doing your planning. So let's now, let's look at some things that you do when you're actually getting into, like rolling up your sleeves and getting into getting your hands dirty and doing the work. Uh, and I think the first thing is something that I've only started doing recently, but I find it very useful. And it's the idea of just pacing yourself. So decide to set aside a set a set amount of time and work hard during that time, and then stop. And then uh, work hard again. It's like interval training when you're trying to get fit. Yeah. And uh, in fact, somebody else, um, my friend Alicia Curtis, she calls them work sprints. She sets aside a, a series of a, a set amount of time. So it might be half an hour or an hour. And she sprints during that time. So it works really, really hard. Uh, head down, tail up, and just gets as much work done as possible. And then stops and takes a break. Uh, and I came across this with something called the Pomodoro technique. Pomodoro being Italian for tomato. Because you get those little timers which are shaped like a tomato. And they, they, they use for cooking. And so you can set the timer for a certain amount of time. And I'm pretty sure that Pomodoro Technique recommends that you work for 25 minutes. So you set a timer for 25 minutes, really work really hard during that time, and then stop and take a five-minute break. Now, I found that 45 minutes works better than 25 minutes for me because I can get a big chunk of work done in that 45 minutes. And then I don't feel guilty about stopping and taking a little five-minute break. So this allows me to work really hard and then stop, work really hard and then stop without having to get overwhelmed by work, uh, having to set aside three hours for a big task or without getting distracted every five minutes. Very good. Yeah, I'm using uh, something similar to the Pomodoro technique, Yuhan. I'm using a timer with a 25-minute interval on it. But I'm finding that, I, that at the, when the timer goes off, I still haven't quite finished what I want to do and I want to keep on working and I do find that 25-minute interval is just a bit too short. I keep hitting the snooze button on the timer and working for another five. So I reckon, yeah. <laughs> I reckon gonna... you're asleep. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> 25 minutes is not enough. <laughs> so, yeah, I think I'm going to have to lengthen that to maybe something like 40 or 45 minutes uh, in order to to get it to work, to fit better with the kinds of tasks that I work on. And, it, and that's, what, that's our message is to sort of find what works for you. But uh, these, these sprints of a certain duration are certainly an effective way of focusing on a particular task. And there's also some evidence that uh, taking regular short breaks does help you to stay alert. Rather than uh, you know, doing a three-hour stretch on something, you can become really weary and lose focus, whereas breaking it up into smaller chunks, taking a break, helps you to stay fresh. And in addition to that, uh, there's some research that suggests that it's healthy to do that as well. So some people think that, you know, I've been to the gym this morning, I can sit around for uh, eight hours and not have any uh, physical activity. Whereas if uh, during your five minute break, you do a bit of stretching, give your eyes a rest as well, uh, that um, increases your heart rate slightly, go up and down a flight of stairs or something that that is uh, much more healthy than just uh, going to the gym and then sitting around for eight hours and doing nothing. I, I agree with you, Chris, and particularly with the with taking the breaks, uh, especially for out-of-office workers where we don't necessarily have those breaks uh, happening during our day. So if you're working in an office, it can, well, it can sometimes be annoying, but it can also sometimes be useful to have somebody come and peek over your partition and ask your question or that you've got to go off to a meeting after an hour or two. So it's rare in an office environment that you do get uh, two or three hours where you've got solid time to work away. But in an out-of-office environment, that can be quite common. So actually forcing yourself to take those breaks can actually be quite useful. And, and you need to do it because they otherwise sometimes aren't naturally there. Absolutely. So another thing that the Pomodoro technique talks about uh, and similar uh, processes as well is tracking your progress. So keeping, uh, keeping logs of what it is that you've been doing, the tasks that you're completing. And also when it comes to Pomodoro, they advocate if you get interrupted, making a note of that interruption and they've got different techniques for classifying the kind of interruption and how you should deal with it, whether you should postpone it, uh, try and eliminate it, reschedule it or deal with it immediately depending on its urgency. But if you take a note of those kinds of things, uh, as well as how many Pomodoros or focusing sessions you've completed during the day, you've got this log that you can go and analyse and work and, and see how you're working. How much time are you spending on work? How many interruptions you're getting each day and what kind they are? And that gives you some data that allows you to find out how you can improve the way that you work. Are there kinds of, are you getting a lot of uh, dis interruptions or distractions that you can possibly eliminate and uh, get more work done? Also, it 
helps you to see how long it actually takes you to complete certain kinds of tasks. You might have a vague idea, but by logging and monitoring your progress, you actually have some real numbers, some hard data that can help you get an accurate picture of the amount of effort required to complete certain tasks. And then if you're asked in future how much effort and and, uh, time is it going to take you to do something, then you've got some data that you can draw upon to make more accurate estimates in future. That's right. And that's a good, that's a good point, Chris, because uh, you do want to do the tracking and monitoring of your own time for your own benefit so that you know how long things are going to take. Because as we said earlier, uh, with a lot of out of office workers, you're going to be measured on your results, not on the time that you spend. However, for your own sake, it's important to know how, how long things take and so that you can, uh, you can improve things in the future and also make uh, accurate estimates in the future. So, you do need to focus on your results, though. Like, it's not enough to say, I've spent three hours on this task today, and that's how long I estimated it was going to be. Therefore, the task is done, and I can cross it off my list. You just can't do that. Uh, as out-of-office workers, we're very much judged on our results and our outcomes rather than on the time spent. In an office environment, people are a little bit more tolerant because they can see that you've spent you know, four hours in a task, which you thought was only going to take two. So they realized that the task was a bit more difficult than they thought because they, they see you there or they see you working late or they see you coming in early. And with out-of-office workers, you can't do that. So you do have to focus on the results. Uh, but the flip side of that is that if you're not making progress during the time that you've set aside, I, I really do think that you should stop and do something else. It do- doesn't mean you should give up too soon. Uh, sometimes you do need to push through to get get a difficult task started or make some real progress on it. But sometimes the best thing to do is to take a break or to switch to another task or to change your environment or do anything uh, that that changes that changes the pattern because the pattern or the the task that you're doing at the moment in this current environment isn't working. So so give yourself the flexibility to switch to something else if you need to, but also always keep in mind that it's the result that matters. Absolutely. So when you're focused or you're locked down and you're working away on a particular task, it's uh, it's tempting to just beaver away uh, until you've done something done what you're working on. But because you're out of office and you're not being watched by managers, they can't see that you're at work. The people that you're working for have got no evidence that anything's getting done until you pop up at the end and say, here is the completed project or whatever. It's important to communicate to those people that you're working with that you're actually making progress, how much progress you're, you're making, and do that kind of early and often because you're, you know, you're not in, in physical proximity to the people that you're working with or working for. Now, uh, that's certainly the case if the task is particularly important or urgent, but if it's a long-running task, then you need to provide updates uh, as you're making progress and, and going through the tasks themselves. And there are a variety of ways of doing this. You can uh, communicate using good old email, although some managers are deluged in email. So rather than pushing uh, updates at them, you can use, say, a a document in the cloud or a wiki or somewhere that you update. And then they then managers and other people working with you can check in on that at their leisure. And as well as that, there are certain tools that are designed for precisely this kind of thing. So uh, I use one called Bugzilla and Gyra at work, and that's a, a defect tracking tool. So you provide updates as you complete tasks towards fixing a certain problem. And again, that tool uh, can either push out updates to other people who need to be informed about progress on a particular task, or they can check progress at their leisure. As well as that, I mentioned earlier about uh, keeping track of what you're doing um, So I use a tool called Hamster for that. That's for Linux. So if you're one of the few Linux users in the world, you can go and install Hamster. But there are lots of these tracking tools around for various other operating systems. So as well as uh, giving me feedback on how much time it's taking me to complete things so that I've got a better understanding of the way that I work, I'm also required to provide weekly and monthly progress reports. And Hamster is a really good way of just sucking the numbers out of Uh, its database and letting me know how much time I'm spending on tasks and what tasks I'm actually completing and how far I am through them. So that's a hamster if you're a Linux user, and I'm sure there are similar tools for other operating systems too.
Mm, I, I haven't used hamsters or guinea pigs or other little small animals for, for my tracking cruise. <laughs> uh, I think one of the key things is if you're using a tracking tool, it's got to be something that's easy to use, not just for you, but for everybody else, because otherwise it just becomes one extra thing that you need to do. And if it's difficult, so if you have to log in all the time or you have to connect or you have to verify, and then it's hard to add tasks to it or, or tick things as completed, then it just becomes an extra burden. And if you're doing a lot of work, uh, which you will typically be doing in an out-of-office environment, then it can be uh, it can be a big burden for you. And I came across a tool recently, which I've just started using with my PA, Sharon. Uh, the, the tool's called goodtodo.com. And it's actually intended to be a tool for individual use for you to manage your to-do list. And so you can manage it from your computer, from your phone, from your tablet. You can update it through a web interface or through a phone app or just by sending an email to uh, to a certain mess, uh, to a certain address. So if I want to send set a task for Tuesday, I can send it to Tuesday at goodtodo.com, and that gets added to my to my to do list. And initially, I started using it for myself, and didn't I found it wasn't quite right. But now Sharon and I are using this for the tasks that she's got on her to do list. So when she wants to, when she has something new to do, she will add that to good to do. Uh, into the account and then if I want her to do something new I'll add that as well or quite often I'll send her an email and I'll cc it to good to do on the particular day when it needs when the task needs to be done and then so she can do it she can cross things off she can add things on there and by doing it that way she she keeps me up to date on what she's up to because uh, she's not physically in the same office as I am. So she works at her own time and exactly like any other out-of-office worker, she works at her own pace and time whenever she wants to, wherever she wants to. But by using Good To Do, we have a to-do list which we can both update and see at any time. So I don't need to keep checking in on her. She doesn't need to keep checking in on me. And uh, as you said earlier, like she doesn't need to send me an email for everything that's done. She just needs to cross it off the list and it's done. So that is something that's available for, um, I think, in all operating systems uh, because that's web-based. And then iPhone and Android apps, and uh, and of course it's, you can send email as well. So it's available uh, everywhere. And goodtodo.com. Uh, the, there's a free version which you can do use as a trial, but then you can sign up, and it's it's some ridiculously low amount. I think it's only about twenty dollars a year, but it's, it's something like that. And you have a to-do list which which is in the cloud, so it can be shared with others. We we actually experimented with a couple of other things. We looked at certain Android apps that we could use, uh, and there are quite a few. There are quite a few apps which will allow you to do project tracking and task tracking, uh, but most of them were a little bit more complicated and complex and sophisticated than we needed, and it needed us to both uh, you know set the task and then go into the app and then note that on a certain day, and then the other person has to accept the task and say, yes, I'll do it, and then when they when they do it, they cross it off and so on. It was just a too much work for every little task, whereas good to do because it's done through email uh, and just through the app. It became very, it's, it's become very, very easy to use, and it makes it a very clean workflow for us. Great. Okay, so we've talked about ready, set, and go. So ready is getting your environment in place. Set is planning what you're going to do, and go is what you do as you go. So uh, I'm not sure that there's anything more to say, Chris, except to just perhaps re- reiterate a couple of the things that we that we said earlier. Uh, one being that out of office workers are are really judged by by results. So you do have to figure out how to achieve those results. So it's not just a matter of putting in the hours. And uh, the second one, which you also mentioned, Chris, is that it's really important that you um, that you're not only you're not only are you judged by your results, but you don't have uh, you don't have to, uh, but you have to do your tracking for your own purposes, uh, even if it's not for your for your manager's purposes or for for other people's purposes. So that's it's useful to have some sort of tracking and monitoring tool for your time anyway, because uh, because you do need it just for your for your own benefit. Is there anything else that you want to reiterate? And I think, uh, as you say, these tools you don't want them to get in the way. So. Uh, for example, the Pomodoro technique is designed to be lightweight and as you mentioned with Good To Do, you chose that because it was an easy tool to use and similarly I chose Hamster because it's easy to use and I can get the information out of it really quickly. So I think the techniques, are, all these crutches, all these helper applications need to be light touch. They need to be simple and easy to use so that they don't con- consume valuable time that you'd rather be otherwise be using on work. 
That's right. Now, there, there is a, a, one other really important point that you made earlier, Chris, and that is that you've got to choose what's right for you. So we've shared some of the things that we do. We hope that some people will be able to just take them and use them exactly as is. However, you might find that you need to adapt it slightly because your environment is slightly different, uh, because your work is slightly different, and because you are slightly different. So you do have to find and choose what works for you, but don't don't go with the defaults. Uh, actually, take some time to figure out what works for you and experiment a little bit to find out the most suitable uh, the environment and the, the kind of work style that you want when you're going to be focused. Do you want to work from virtually anywhere? The internet makes it possible, and the book Out of Office shows you how. Get your copy at outofofficebook.com and get more convenience, comfort, and freedom in your work life. So before we wrap up for this month, let me remind you about the eGurus community, which is my private membership site for business owners and thought leaders. This month, we'll be talking about how to take payments on your website for physical products, for downloadable products, for services like webinars and other events, and even for recurring subscriptions. Are you a speaker, trainer, coach, consultant, or thought leader? If you'd like to use the internet to get more business or deliver your material, join the eGurus community. Find out more and sign up at eGurus.info. So that's it for Expert Girl Radio this month. I hope you enjoyed and you learned something that you can use in your organization. I'll be back next month for the Christmas edition of Expert Girl Radio. See you then. You've been listening to Expert Gold Radio. If you'd like to subscribe, read the show notes, or leave your comments, visit expertgoldradio.com. And remember, great minds don't think alike.